Okay, so this morning we're going to continue what is uh, our study in the book of Colossians. Um, for the next four weeks, we're going to be studying the Mary song, the song of Mary, the Magnificent, the Magnificent in Luke chapter 1. And it's going to be such an amazing, what was this godly woman's response to a promise that an angel made to her? Um, a, a scary one and an exciting one at the same time. So we're going to look at that. It's going to be uh, hopefully a really amazing exposure to the gift of Christ and what can be our response to that gift of Christ too. Um, but this morning we're continuing what is our, our study in the book of Colossians. We'll take a break from that for the next four weeks and then we'll come back to it when Advent is done. Um, but we're going um, into this because we believe that Jesus Christ is absolutely supreme. That's the name of our sermon series, Supreme Jesus. Jesus Christ is supreme over this universe. Jesus Christ is supreme over the stars, the galaxies, galaxies the fish, the sea, and me. Right? Christ is Lord. If there's one thing that you, if you want to know what Christianity is all about and it's kind of new to you, it's this one theme, this one declaration. Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord. I'm not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And I absolutely need him for everything in my life. I need him to save me. I need him to give me the breath in my lungs. I need him to give me food and money. Without Jesus, I am just a poof, a dust. So Jesus is Lord, supreme Jesus. We get real life when we finally come to the recognition that Jesus is Lord. Husbands aren't Lord. Girlfriends aren't Lord. Money isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's absolutely supreme. And that is um, a, a, a theme that we have here in our church. As you'll see, I've mentioned before that our vision at our church is really simply this. That at Refuge Church, we desire that our church and our neighbors would know Jesus and find real life. Our life is bound up with our knowledge and relationship to Jesus Christ because he is Lord. We have no life without him. And without him, we desperate, we're desperately trying to find our life, our meaning, our purpose, but it's always out of our grasp. But Jesus is Lord. Real life. Those two, those two words for us have a lot of meaning. And I'm sure whether you've thought deeply or not about what is the significance of your life, I'm sure that it still has meaning to you. I'm sure that you're all sort of after it. You know, uh, Vice President Joe Biden um, once quoted that famous philosopher about rules of happiness, and it's a beautiful statement that I love. And he says that to be happy, you need something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. Isn't that a good word? You need something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. And those, if you find these things, they, they supposedly provide a rich and a satisfying life. But, but, but we have a, a sort of question that we need to ask, an honest question that we need to ask when we hear that. It sounds nice. It sounds poetic. It sounds true. And I think that the, the, at the heart of it, it is true, but it's still missing something. Because the something that we need to do that is going to satisfy us is to follow the will and purpose of Jesus Christ, right? That's the something to do. Who's the someone to love? Well, it's Christ. And what is the something to hope for? Isn't it not the life of Christ that he's promised us? So supreme Jesus is life. He's the real life. He's the life we need and we've always wanted. His work is the something to do. He is the someone to love and eternal life is the something to hope for. And if friends, you sort of miss that. If it's something else that you're sort of filling in the blanks of those three statements, you always kind of feel like it's not satisfying you the way it should because it's, it was never meant to. 
supreme Jesus is that life. And Paul maintains that life is bound up in the salvation and grace of God as the means of reconciling us because we're sinners with our good God. Right? Jesus is the reconciliation between God and men. He fixes it. He fixes the problem. It is in him that we have that life and only in him. And if our life, and this is my kind of thesis today, if our life is bound to our infinite Father Creator, it's fitting that our life to be full must include prayer. If our life, if our deep satisfaction, our deep soul need is bound up in relationship with God the Father, then we'll never be satisfied until we begin to pray. Prayer is not an option in the Christian life. If you really want life, If you want real life, you need to really pray. We must never stop praying every single day of our lives. You say, I don't know how to pray. It's okay. If you know how to think, you know how to pray. Just direct direct those thoughts to God, the creator, and you're praying. That begins the action of prayer. If you don't consider yourself a Christian or a person of faith, this is still for you, and I, want you to, I hope that you can still listen because there's something in here for you. Prayer is sort of the fuel. It's the engine. It's the medium that brings us to relationship with God and gives us life through him. So I want to draw some um, observations about prayer from our text. Colossians chapter 1, what you heard Missy read to you this morning is basically an extended prayer. You might suggest that you don't pray because you don't know how to pray, And maybe there are various other reasons. But what we have here is an extended prayer, and it serves us as instruction, and it teaches us how and why we should pray. Isn't this great news? So if you ever thought, I don't know what prayer is, I don't know how to pray, I don't know why I should pray, well, here we go. Hopefully this will help answer some of those questions. What we have here is an extended prayer that serves us as instruction, teaching us how and why we should pray. I want to first make this, just this observation that the fact that you, a human being, have the opportunity to speak to God is a miracle. And it speaks not only to his power and love, but your value. So if you don't know God and you don't know Christ, walk away with maybe just simply this, that God made it so that you can know him and love him. That's how important you are to him. And that's what prayer proves to us in Scripture. When God says to us, come to me, speak to me, that shows us your value, your worth to him, that he wants to know you. Isn't that incredible? The first point, though, I want to make about prayer is that prayer that brings life is continuous. What does the word say? Paul says, we always thank God for you when we pray. We could sort of summarize that like this. We always pray. And when we're always praying, we're thinking of you, and we're thanking God for you. The, the first sort of implication here is that prayer is not like this one-stop shop where you pray when you're in a jam, when you pray when, you know, like you lost your job or something harrowing has happened to you and you decide, I'm, I'm desperate. I'm, of course, if you've never prayed and those are the moments you pray, that, that you pray, then pray. But what I'm encouraging you to do, the prayer that brings you life, is a prayer that doesn't stop. Keep going to God in prayer. Seek him. And you say, well, I don't know what to say to him. Well, tell him that. God, I I know I want to talk to you, but I don't even know what to say. And just say that every day until you have something else to say. 
until maybe he speaks to you something else. But the reality of the fact is that God wants us to come to him every day, continually. We always thank God. The early Christians likely practiced what has come to be called a daily office, right? Um, Some people call these sacred readings, or in Latin, Lexio Divina, right? And what this basically means, it's it's a practice that's every single day. It's in the morning, it's in the middle of the day, and it's at night. So morning, noon, and night, and this is taken from Scripture. And oftentimes what, what the early church would do was they would take Scripture and they would speak it back to God. What is this What is this saying? What does it mean? What does this text mean? What is this saying about God? What is it saying about me? Is there anything I need to confess to God? Is there anything that I can thank him for in this? So the word of God is sort of directing their prayers to God. So they would systematically read through the book of Psalms or a gospel or something like this, and then they would talk to, talk to God about it in the morning and in the middle of the day and at night. So it's likely that Paul sort of inherited this practice from Jewish practice and continued it on through the church um, and taught them how to pray in the morning in midday and at night, these routines, um, these godly disciplines that formed Paul's soul to be strong. So he reminds us to be constant in prayer. Didn't Jesus do this? Remember what Jesus said? I love this passage. It kind of shows the humor of Christ. In Luke chapter 11, then Jesus said to them, he says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now imagine, imagine I come up to your, your house, it's, it's midnight, you're about, you're, you got your Uncle Scrooge hat on and your slippers and you're about to go into bed or maybe you're just getting a glass of water, you've been sleeping two hours already because you're a farmer. And then you hear uh, on, your, on your front door, you hear this. And you'll, oh no, usually what, what's, if you get a knock on the door at midnight, it's not good news. It's bad news. So you're, this startles you. Your heart begins to race. You run to the door. You think someone must, must have gotten hit by a car or someone's in big trouble. So you open the door, and then you see my bright, shining face. And you, and you say, Barbara, do you have any white bread? Right? What are you, nuts? Are you kidding me? I thought someone died. Get out of here. <laughs> go home. I don't have any bread. Jesus said, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food. Oh, no. Well, can you wait till the morning? Do you have to eat now? And suppose the one inside answers, like we all would, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are asleep. I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible, Luke chapter 11. I can't get up, and I can't give you anything. I tell you, this is what Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship... Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Shameless audacity. This is, maybe underline that in your Bible. Because when the Bible tells us to pray, it tells us to pray like that. To have shameless audacity in our prayers. It means that we can go to God with anything, at any time, anywhere doesn't matter because our god doesn't sleep you want to meet him at midnight for some bread then do it he tells you to do it you matter to him pray every day god wants us to be audacious in our prayer life 
even when it's inconvenient, inconvenient for you, nothing's inconvenient for God, but if you could follow the poetry, if you think it's inconvenient for God, then do it anyway. You know, these, these ancient monks that I spoke of, and some of them even to this day, part of their daily office, I said morning, noon, and night, you know what they do? They get up at midnight. Some of them get up in the middle of the night, and they have a midnight office. You know, they're not just making it up either. They're not just saying, let's think of ways to create annoying habits that no one likes to do. They do this because they love God, and they do it because they see Scripture sort of describing this sort of life. You know what it says in Psalm 119? At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. In Matthew chapter 25, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go ye out to meet him. In my life, if I was to pick up my phone and to call someone at midnight, there would really be only one of two reasons. It would be, it would be because I'm in trouble or because I'm in love. Right? How many people make phone calls at midnight? You just don't do this unless you're in trouble or you're in love. You see, friends, we don't talk to people at midnight unless we're in trouble or we're in love. You see, friends, prayer should spring forth from either or or both these two places, the deep desperation, the trouble, that without God we could not survive, and or the desperate love that we have for him. Midnight's not annoying. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and thought, maybe, oh, too much pizza? Maybe, have you ever thought that maybe the bridegroom is knocking on the door and he's calling you at that moment at 1 a.m. for some audacious prayer? To get up, the bridegroom comes, go ye out to meet him. So we pray always. Prayer, Prayer that brings life doesn't stop. It's continual. Number one. Number two. Prayer that brings life is intimate, and it is relational. It is relationally intimate. Does this feel, this feels really loud to me. Does it feel loud to you? It could just be this thing is too loud. That's all right. I'll do. (laughs) All right. I'll just put up with it. Well, I don't want to make it too soft for them if it's, you know what I mean? I can put up with it. But prayer that brings life is relationally intimate. It says in verse 3, we always thank God the the Father, who are we praying to? We, we are praying to not some like infinite He-Man that has like all strength, some kind of like weird spirit nebulous thing that created all things, that doesn't really care about us, but he's like almost like King Kong. Right? Like we, he, we don't know him, he doesn't love us, but he's got a lot of power, and we, we don't want him to smush us under his big hairy foot. Right? Like, so we're praying to a Father, God the Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this Father is not a mean, abusive, and disconnected Father, like some of our dads. He's the Father that our fathers should have been. And we all know the Father that we should have had and maybe didn't have. The reason you know what a dad should be is because there is a dad like that. There is a Father like that that loves you unconditionally, that wants your affection and friendship. 
and he wants you to speak to him, and he's the Father in heaven. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer has a specific object, a specific person. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So prayer isn't just some, like, soul exercise. It's not some mental thing that we do to sort of get rid of the busyness of our minds, like some kind of stilling or some meditation. Friends, prayer is more than that. I think it includes those things. I think those are the things that are helpful products of prayer. But it's more than that. And if it's only those things, it's not prayer. Prayer points all of our, directs all of our desires, our requests, our needs, our thankfulness, our confessions, our shame, our guilt. It puts it to God. It puts it in the Father's hands. And the Father's hands are the only safe place for all those things. Right? The mistakes you've made the things you're ashamed of, even the confusion of your heart. Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Why did this awful thing happen to me? All of those things, the, 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 the busyness of your soul, bringing it to the Father, putting it in his hands as a Father who loves you and wants you to do it. <clears throat> Prayer does these things. It's not simply asking whoever's out there to help you, and maybe that's where you're at right now because you don't know who God is. And friend, cry that out then. I don't know who you are, but I need help. And just keep asking God. You know what he's going to do? He's going to start showing up, and he's going to reveal himself to you. When we pray, we're enjoying the presence of God, the Creator King, the Father. Isn't that great news? Every time we go to prayer, we have an attentive dad that we can approach that loves us, that is eager to hear us even at midnight when it's for bread. That's the kind of father that you have in heaven that loves you. Now, I know some of you today are thinking about maybe your dad and the way that maybe the ways that the awful ways that he's disappointed you, abused you. Now, a lot of people haven't had dads that, that were that tough. But some of you, no doubt, in a room this size did. And let me tell you this, this right now, that there is a better father. And he loves you. And he wants you to come to him. You see, prayer that brings life is relationally intimate. It is going to a God that is not just creator, that is not just powerful, that is not just smart, but that loves you, that created you. And this presumes, number three, that prayers that bring life are thankful. You know, half of the prayer that Paul prays is thankfulness, and the other half is requests. It's thankfulness and requests. So that we're already learning, like, how do I pray? Well, go to God with thanksgiving and go to God with requests. Right? We're going to him continually as our Father with our thanksgivings and with our requests. Right? Someone once said this, that every prayer is a request even when you're thanking God for something. Because what's underneath that thankfulness is, God, will you hear me? Will you, will you speak back to me? That's presumed in the prayer process, isn't it? So every time we pray, we're dependent on God. We're asking him to fill us and to serve us because we need him. But number three, the prayers that brings, bring life are thankful. Like I said, there are two main parts. Verses 3 through 8 is an extended thankfulness. In verses 9 through 14, Paul starts to ask God for help. Now, thankfulness is a tricky thing in prayer. Now, how many people got some, some prayer notches on their belt? 
right? You've been a Christian for a while, and you've said some prayers in your life. You've got some prayer notches on your belt. Maybe some of you are, don't know much about this whole God thing or Christianity thing, but every now and then you've, in life you've shot one up, right? You know, God, that girl's real cute. I, you know, I hope she likes me. Right, like maybe like quick things like that, or maybe maybe things in your life have happened that are that are a lot more serious than that. Someone gets sick and you don't know what else to do, so you so you ask God for help, right? So whether you're kind of new to prayer or not, I think thankfulness can be a tricky thing, because we often go through the motions of thankfulness in prayer, and I'm I'm kind of talking to Christians right now. We tend to kind of dole out all the things that we know we should be thankful for to kind of get that over with, right? Well, thank you, God. You know, I'm, I'm alive. Thanks for that. Um, thank you. I live in a house. Thanks for that. Thanks for my kids. And we, we sort of kind of dole it out, and I'm like, okay, now let's get to the real part. And we're not saying that, but oftentimes, if we're really honest, that's kind of what's, what's the, sort of the subtext of our heart. That's the footnote. That's sort of what's happening inside of us. There's often an issue that sort of clouds all of the blessings of our life. All the things that should give us joy and that we can be thankful for. There's maybe a, an item or two that for us is sort of casting a shadow over all of it. And I believe that very often that's because we really don't know what we have. We get sort of distracted by these micro-needs of our lives. And we start to elevate them to this, this place of importance and value that for us, they become the issue of our life. So we can have everything and have nothing. So even when we're honest and we start to think about the things that we can, roll, we can dole them off and be thankful for a million things, but still what's in the back of our mind is that other thing, that one thing. See? So it's, like, it's almost like a child. Christmas is coming up. How many people have had kids that were at that age that it didn't matter what you bought them because they'd like the box more, right? They just want the box or the wrapping paper or the bow. You got them this, like, awesome toy that cost 100 bucks. They don't even know what it is, and they're not even playing with it. They don't want it. They want the box because they can crawl in the box. That's fun. And so we're like children sometimes with what God has given to us, all the amazing blessing of salvation, of us being able to know and love him. He's given us all this, but we want the box. We want the wrapping paper. And we're grumpy if we don't get it, like our children. <laughs> Look at what Paul thanks God for. Not finances or influence or success. And friends, all these things, I'm not saying we shouldn't, go after these things or even if we're denied these things that it shouldn't cause us grief right and we should go to these things to God in prayer for and thanks thanksgiving for but look at what Paul's thankful for he wanted something better than those things he wanted the best things and when he realized God had given all of those things to them to him by his free grace didn't even charge him he burst forth with thankfulness might I suggest, if you are only thankful for stuff, the material things that God provides, you're probably not thankful at all. And you probably never will be. Because there will always be this thought in the back of your mind, well, I have it now, but what if I don't always? 
right? Or, or you'll get it, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's all right. It's just not as cool as I thought it was. Now I want this thing. So we're always sort of like in this process. When we make that transition to th- being truly alive and thankful for God's love, for his presence in our lives and our hearts, we're sort of released to really and finally be thankful for any, everything else. You see, and what I'm saying is when Jesus is Lord, everything else, we, we all, all of a sudden we actually really can start to appreciate it in a way that's free. Because Jesus is Lord and we have him. Consider what Paul's fa- thankful for. The first thing, that he and God's people had the hope of heaven. He said, thank you, God, for the hope of heaven. The faith and love, that, he says, thank you for the faith and love that sp- spring forth from hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. He's basically saying here, I'm thankful that we, because of Jesus, we have the hope of life with God that our sins are forgiven and will be restored to God. Hope in the promise of real life and forever love. That, that's what we'll get. This is what he's thanking God for. Real life. A love that won't end with God. With their maker produced. And what, what that produced is a now love. Not just a forever later love, but a now love. You know your purpose, your, your strength is found in relationship with God. And he says, I, I'm so thankful for this church that has found this hope. Because he heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that they had for all of God's people. Often when we hear of someone putting faith in Jesus, I I hate to say this, but even as Christians, it really doesn't do much for us. Oh, that person got saved? Oh, that's nice. Oh, that person's getting married? Yeah! We're so much happier over it, right? Like, oh, you're getting married and all this news, and we should be. I'm not trying to diss that. But, but, this, I think, is because our hearts aren't in heaven as much. They're on earth. It's surrounded by the events that, of the things that happen around us. Someone gets engaged or is pregnant, gets healed of some sickness. We're all giggles. But, but when we hear about someone having faith in Jesus, even, if that sickness remains, we're sort of depressed about it. But they came to faith in J- Jesus they know the, 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 the purpose of their life. They're going to heaven. They're going to be with him forever. Isn't that better news? To hope in heaven, that is, heaven, this is what heaven is, perfect and eternal love with our creator. That is the greatest, when you get it, that's the greatest sort of joy. To pray, even when our prayers, you know, some of, you, some of our prayers are still in their rookie year. And that's okay, Right? We all have prayers that are really just kind of about me and what we want. Isn't that true? And sometimes they sort of transition. We, we kind of grow. We're growing in our prayers, right? And we start, to, we start to sort of naturally care about other people. We want their, their well-being. We start to pray for them too. And those, those are great prayers too. We're supposed to pray all of these things. But something happens as you grow in your faith. Your prayers start to become more about a relationship with God, experiencing love between the two of you. That's what you end up wanting that most, and you want that for other people. Your prayers sort of get consumed with those things, and that's what's happening for Paul. So he's thankful for the hope of heaven, but, but secondly, he's thankful for the good news, which gives them the hope of heaven. That's what he's thankful for. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you 
since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world and among you. He's talking to the Colossians here. Friends, we can say the same thing. I look at churches around us, right? I have a, a good friend named, named Jared who has, has this wonderful ministry in East Providence. And people are getting saved and baptized. Isn't that great good news? I have a, another friend named Joel in Bristol. Same thing. He started a church there a few years ago. People are, people are coming to know Jesus Christ, getting baptized, growing in their faith. All around us, all around the world, we see it in Indonesia. We see it, we, like the, the gospel is spreading. We can pray the same prayer. And then we can look internally at what God's doing here. Isn't he doing the same thing? Friends, didn't we just get to enjoy a baptism here with our good friends Barbara and David? Didn't, didn't we get to, to just see just a few weeks ago our young people start a teen group? All their, uh, all their friends that don't know Chris, Christ yet are coming to it. Did you know that? We had one young man a couple of weeks ago come up to us, and he's not a Christian yet, but he said this to us. He said, I get it now. I understand what you're talking about now with the gospel. He said that was perfect to us. See, isn't that incredible? That the gospel is alive. You see, friends, I think one of the challenges of church life is for us to sort of move towards the center of that life. Because all of us, without exception, and I'm not saying this to judge you or me, but without exception, we all end up in the Christian life sort of outside of that on the fringe. We get distracted. We, we start wanting everything around us. We start wanting stuff. But then what, what, what happens is we see people coming alive, the, the hope of heaven planted in their hearts. We start seeing the gospel grow. And we have an opportunity at that point to start saying, okay, I'm going to redirect I'm going to come over here because life is over here. And that's our opportunity this morning to get in, to jump in. See, because the good news is bearing fruit. <clears throat> How many people don't care if uh, Tom Brady wins another Super Bowl? Raise your hand nice and high and don't be ashamed. Okay. Some of you couldn't care less, okay? Some of us in here, though, we're like, six isn't good enough. We want a seven. Right? Like some of us really are very passionate about football, and I'm one of them. I really want them to win another one. Six is, six is man's number, right? That's like, the, you, like peop, evil people wear it on their heads in the Bible, right? Like, so seven is God's number. We need a seventh, or it just it doesn't matter. So, but you might hear the news, you know, you'll wake up one day, you know, he got another Super Bowl. Okay, whatever. Where are the waffles? I'm hungry. Now, I've got to ask you this. When, when, when we hear that a, te a, a team of women right now are reading their Bibles like they never have before, what does that do for you? Do you care? Yeah. Or is it just kind of like, well, oh, when's the game on? Because, oh, friends, I think you're missing something. And I'm not saying that to be hard on you because I've been there. I've been there this year. And I might be there in a week from now. Because that's the spiritual life. It's a constant reminder that we have to redirect our hearts to what matters most. Amen? Number four, prayers that bring life <clears throat> are not just prayers that give thanks. 
but prayers that have audacious expectations. Let me explain to you what I mean. I'm not talking about, okay, God says we can pray for anything. Okay, all right, pile of money, <laughs> right? Because God can do it, right? God can do anything, right? Like, I'm not talking about that. Right? I'm not talking, that, that's not what I mean by audacious prayers. That's easy for God. That's child's play. He's, he's got the cattle on the thousand hills. He can give you whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But that's not what you need. There's something better for you. And that's what I mean. Prayers that bring life have audacious expectations. Normally the things that you're most thankful for, um, that, that you want most in life, are the things that you ask God's help for. Isn't that true? The things that you're most thankful for, the things that you want most, usually direct your requests to God, and even your thankfulness to God, right? If you want most, for example, to be successful in school, you're in college, the pressure's on, you really want to do well, what are, you, what are you asking God for? A good mind, right? Clear head, good grades, grace from the teacher. That is the tough one, right? That's what we're asking God for. And if you do well, what are you going to do if you're a praying person? Thanks, God. Got an A. Thank you. You see, the things that you want most, the things that you're most thankful for, are usually the things that direct your requests. But the prayers that bring life have audacious expectations, and they make incredible requests to God that are so much bigger than an A. Praying audacious prayers means that we are praying for what matters most and therefore for, some, for what only God can provide. And you say, well, I don't, what does matter most? And even if you know what matters most, it doesn't matter most to me. So what am I to do with this? We'll get to that in a moment. If you, de- if, if you don't really want what matters most, then the, the first big audacious prayer that you can ask is for God to help you want what matters most. You know that's how I got saved? Before I was a Christian, I heard the gospel and I didn't care. I just, I wanted to be popular, I wanted to be funny, I wanted girls to like me. That's what I really wanted most. But someone told me, about the gospel message, about Jesus Christ, about salvation, about uh, the life of following him. So I went on my knees one day, and I, and I prayed, and this was a sincere, pr- sincere prayer. I was like, God, I don't really, I don't want any of that stuff, but I think I should want it, so help me to want it. And I did. took some time, but he answered that prayer. So the first audacious prayer that you pray is if you don't want any of this, you don't want God, you, just, you still want the girl, okay, Ask him for the girl, but then ask him, God, help me to want you because I don't really want you. And you know what? You keep asking that, he's going to reveal heaven to your heart. And he's going to do it. And you're going to get it. And we're going to have a conversation a year from now about this day when you heard this message. I guarantee it. Paul's desire was, number one, the thing that mattered most was that we would know our God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, I know when we read the Bible, we start tripping over language that isn't really familiar with it. We're not really familiar with. But what he's saying is, I want you to know God's will. And you say, oh, God's will, that sounds very like, like go cut a tree down, right? Like that's his will, like what he wants me to do. He wants me to do something. 
right? It's that, but it's so much more than that. It is your created purpose, and that is to have relationship with him. So God's will is that you would love him and that he would love you. And that's what Paul's praying for, that you would know God, that you would know his will, and that out of that love, it would direct everything else in all of your decisions. So Paul desired that he and his church, this church, would really know God. Not just know about God, but have a common soul with God. That he would be their Lord and their love. A heart that is bound up with God's heart. And anyone that's ever been in love knows what this is like. You start to serve the other person. You want what the other person wants. Isn't that true? God's will isn't just his commands. It's not just his moral code. It's all of this. But it's more than that. It's all that he is. It's all that he's made us to be in him. To know him, his purpose and will is to know you, to know yourself. When you know God, you know you. John Calvin said that. He said to know God is to know yourself, and to know yourself is to know God. True knowledge, not the fake stuff that we make up. But when we really get to know God, we start knowing who we are. To know God and his will and purpose is to look into a clean mirror and to see yourself for the first time. So Paul says, I want you to know God. Because the Bible says you're created in his image. And if you're created in his image, the only way that you're going to know yourself is by beginning to know who he is. You've got to know him. So he says, I pray that you'd know the knowledge of his will. So it's more, prayer is more than just forgetting us out of trouble. It's meant to escort us to heaven so that we could know him and know ourselves. And the second thing, this, this is kind of the leading, um, this sort of leads out of this, this first part. <clears throat> prayer that brings life is a prayer that's audacious, and it makes the request to know him, number one, and number two, to be like him. You say, what? if you're not floored by that, you should be. That you can be like God. You see, I looked in the mirror this morning, and I didn't see a God-like reflection. <laughs> Some of you who have more of an inflated view of yourself might think otherwise of you. Right? I looked in the morning, and I looked marvelous. Right? I, I believe that there's a God. I mean, look at that. Look at that reflection. You see, friends, when we begin to pray, we're asking God that we would be like him. We want that most. So that you might have, it says this in verse 10, so that you may have a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Worthy of the, a life worthy of the Lord. To know God through Jesus is to be transformed inside and out. To know God through Christ, as it's meant here, is to be one with him, one one in heart with him. And it's therefore to be like him. To want what he wants, to speak what he speaks, to love what he loves, and to hate what he hates. To know God is to be one with God. You know that the word worthy means equal weight, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, of equal weight with the Lord. Worthy means equal weight. Our lives, your life, 
can be lived. This is what this means. Now, this is why this is so amazing. You can live your life in such a way as Jesus would have lived it the same exact way as if he were living your life. I'm going to say that again because I didn't get enough wows. (laughs) Right? You have the power in Christ to live your life in such a way as if Jesus took your place and lived it for you, he would have lived it the exact same way. Thank you. (laughs) It's incredible to consider these things. We think, oh, I'm a sinner, I mess up, and that's true. But we have this access to God's power, the access of repentance and confession, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And when we do that, we can begin to walk and look like Jesus again the moment we do it. That's the power that you have available to you. You say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things I've lost. Well, that's the grace of God in Christ through the gospel that gives you another chance this moment to get up and begin walking a life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because we're great. It's not because I have more moral discipline than you. It's because of the grace of God in Christ and the power that he provides to give us second, third, fourth, fifth chances and 70th chances. Oh, friends, to be like him so that you might have a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That's God's will for your life, and you can do it. You can do it. And it's not because you're great, and it's not because you have big muscles, and it's not because you have this big moral heart, right? It's because there is a God who sent his son to die for you, to take your place, to, to take on the sin, that you, um, the sin, guilt, and death that you deserve so that it could be removed from you and that you could be stood up every time you fail to continue a life that's worthy of him. So let's get up. Amen? Let's get up and let's follow Jesus. The, the, this life, like his, verses 10 through 13, you know what it does? It bears good fruit. It nourishes your soul. It bears, your life bears good fruit. How many people understand the analogy here? If you start to bear fruit, it helps other people around you. That's what fruit does. It gives life to other people. When, when you live a life worthy of God, of Christ, and begin to walk with him, you're going to notice people around you nourished because you're in the room. It grows in the knowledge of God and a deeper love for his word, for his purpose and presence. The Bible says here in Colossians that it's spiritually strong. It's not easily crushed under suffering. And it gives thanks in all things, but especially because, listen to this amazing verse, he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. He has qualified you. Now, how many people know that if you're in some competition, that you need to qualify for it, who does the work? You do. If you want to qualify to be a Navy SEAL, you don't have someone else go in and hold their breath underwater for you. You got to do it. If you want to qualify to be on a sports team and you got to run a, a, a certain distance in a certain amount of time, you can't ask your ninja friends to go run for you. You got to do it you got to qualify. And that's how we often think of God in the spiritual life. i got to qualify myself if I'm going to make it to heaven. And we, wa- we walk around with that burden. But what does it say? He 
has qualified you. Jesus is the qualification because we don't qualify. We're sinners. But he has qualified you to share in his inheritance of his holy people. Because he he's the one that's qualified and he gives that qualification to you, we share in everything he gets. In eternal life then and life now. Isn't that great news? To share in the inheritance of his holy people for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He's brought you there. Isn't that incredible? He's brought you out of your world into the kingdom of light, into his son's kingdom. And he's qualified you to put you there. Great news. Amen? You see, friends, prayer brings life because prayer leads us to the light transferred from darkness in christ the believer has been purchased out of a rebel kingdom and reunited with the sovereign king and the kingdom of the son that he loves jesus the supremely beloved object of the father's affection that's the kingdom he brings us into we have been rescued by ransom redeemed purchased forgiven remitted of all our sin and failures and shortcomings. And because of the price Jesus paid on the cross for trusting, for when we trust him as sinners, we enjoy a forever emancipation, a forever freedom. Friends, prayer is life. Prayer is life when it leads you to the Lord of life. So pray, friends, every day pray. Let's pray.